Here's another great conversation with Nicola Dedman. She is a professor of choral studies at Fullerton. And for those of you listening and not watching the YouTube conversation, um, I encourage you to go take a look at least at the first couple minutes because what you are about to hear is Nicola's students singing at the end of a day-long retreat. And they are in a parking garage that she has set up specifically for her students to come back in person this year. And uh, she's just a wonderful um, and genuine, warm, caring professor and really has immersed herself in the data and has become quite a scientist thinking through um, the safety of her students and putting that foremost. And I've just really enjoyed the conversations with her. And um, for me personally, podcasts have been a wonderful retreat from all of the um, you know, written material and the data and the graphs and p-values. So I do hope you enjoy this and I hope to get more people to chat with me who are, you know, doing things um, or at least trying to approximate normal and are finding their own ways forward with practical solutions. So uh, if you have a parking garage story, um, please uh, message me at my website, abcmedicalwriting.com. Dot com, or you can find me on Twitter at Krug Alley. Just DM me and we'll have a conversation. I would love to hear what you're doing. Thank you so much, Nicola. Okay, we're back. It's morning in California, isn't it, Nicola? It is. It's about 9 a.m. Yeah. Good morning to you. Thank you for Thank joining you. me Friday morning. It's noon here in Virginia Beach. And I'm so excited. I've been so looking forward to spending Friday with you because we have a special treat queued up. Last time we talked, we had we were having such a great conversation, but we had to go. And and you promised that you would bring some. I thought it was just going to be sound. I thought it was just going to be audio, but yet we get to actually watch your choral group. So here we go. Without further delay, thank you so much for sharing this. Yeah, of course. So this is a little clip. Um, I told my students that we need to do some promo videos for our concert that's actually coming up on Wednesday of this upcoming week. And so we took a couple clips. Um, this is from a piece called I Am Loved by Christopher Harris. So I'll play that for you now. Little excerpt. Oh, I just realized something. Hold on. It's coming into your ears. Yeah, I need to share my sound. So can we do all of that again? <laughs> yes, let's do it all again. <laughs> okay, let me now let me find where the sound is coming from because I lost it. Hold on. Oh, there it is. <laughs> let's right, we're do still that. Recording. I'm so sorry. I'm like I'm like out of practice on Zoom. I swear. I guess I haven't it's done good. it in so long. Share sound and optimize for video clip. Oh, well, let me optimize for video. Well, okay, so it might not be optimized, but that's okay because the sound will share. <laughs> okay, let's try this again. Sorry about that, Allie. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Okay. All right, let's do it again. <laughs> okay, so from Fullerton, here we go with Nicola Dedman. And oh. do you have the name of your choral group? Do you have yes. Yeah, so this is my um, this is my large ensemble. They're called Concert Choir, and um, it is an auditioned group, but it's it's my bigger group. So um, it's kind of the crux of our choral program. It's it's home base for everybody. Everybody sings in this group, and then they can sing in smaller groups outside of that if they want to. Um, so this is a bit of promo material that we recorded for our upcoming concert to get people to come to our concert in our parking structure outside. It's really exciting. So this is a little bit of um, I Am Love by Christopher Harris. A little excerpt here. 
do a little fade out there. That's just a little clip because we don't want to give away the whole entire show for everyone. That's true. But, yeah. That's true. I don't want you to stop though. I'm just mesmerized. <laughs> Thanks. I could show a longer clip later on if you'd like. <laughs> well, we could also put links to the, you know, the full clips so people can watch without my sure. and your little faces in the corner appearing. Yeah. Yeah. That actually, that was just the clip. That was the only clip because we posted that on our Facebook page and said, hey, come to our concert if you want to hear the rest. So that's all I have for that one. But, um, but I do have a longer clip of a different piece that I'd be happy to share as well. Yeah, why don't we do that at the end? I have sure. questions for you. Is that okay, Nicole? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll stop you're... sharing my screen. Oh, <laughs> I just enjoyed looking at them on the screen. Amazing. Yeah. So your um, when your actual performance is it also in the parking garage? Yes, it is also going to be in the parking garage um, because I love it. yeah, it's it's really tough to um, to have. Again, we've talked about masking and singing. Um, it's really hard. There are some programs out there that are doing that, and I, I greatly admire them because it's really not easy. Um, but we do not have an outdoor mask mandate on our campus. So we were told that, oh, if you have it outside, you can give all of your instruction for singing uh, without masks if you need to. You know, obviously, there are students who choose to mask, and that's wonderful. Um, but yeah, so I, I came up with the idea for Garage Choir uh, over a year ago now. And so we put all this stuff together. I had the theater department build these sheds that we can lock um, so we can put all our chairs and our electric piano up there. Um, obviously, we're very privileged to be able to do this because we live in Southern California. So the winter, the coldest winter day will be about 60 degrees, um, maybe right, 55 true. on a very, very cold day. So it's it's quite manageable up there. Um, so we're lucky to be able to do that. But yeah, so anyways, we have the concert coming up, but um, we would have had to do a greatly limited capacity if we were indoors for the audience. Um, and we would have had to mask everyone after a semester of getting their training without masks. So right. I thought, you know what, let's just do it in the garage. It'll be safer. It'll be really well ventilated. And um, it's California. The weather will be nice. And people are really excited. It's actually a beautiful acoustic. It really is. I mean, obviously, I'm just getting it through, uh, you know, Zoom. And I, I know that it wasn't um, what you're hearing live, right? But it was really interesting that you were standing in the middle of uh, essentially a half circle. Would you have that same luxury mm -hmm. indoors? Because that's a really nice way of uh, organizing all of the voices, I would imagine, so that you you are in the middle. Right. Well, and so that's that's typically how the choirs are set up uh, for rehearsals okay. and performances. It's like an arc, um, and typically you'll have tenors and basses, which are the lower voices, in the back two rows, and then sopranos and altos in the front two rows. Sometimes you can chunk it like soprano, alto, tenor, bass, like that. It just depends on how you organize and structure your classroom. But yeah, it's usually the conductor at the front center and then, you know, a big rainbow of people. Yeah. It does seem like, uh, it does seem like I've seen that quite a bit, but I, I have also seen people just kind of stacked in lines, um, you know, like on a stage right. and things. So this seemed like the part right. structure gives you a lot of flexibility that you might not have in like, if we were trying to space things out in a, um, in a smaller indoor. Oh, yes, in the times of COVID, um, there are all sorts of different formations that people have had to do. Mm -hmm. So that that is something that's quite different. But in, in normal, you know, 2019 and, and back, it was typically an arch, though, of course, I'm sure there, there are very creative directors who have tried other things mm -hmm. as well. Um, but the default tended to be an arc. Um, but 
with the six foot distancing rules, that made it very challenging to do that. Obviously, you can't really do that without a massive amount of space. So people had people standing in little circles, like individual circles. Uh, there were all sorts of things that people came up with um, yeah. to comply with those guidelines. They're really challenging for choirs, indeed. Yeah, it, it really is. I was actually, um, after the last time we spoke, um, oddly, one of the other podcasts I listened to, I think it was This Week in Virology, was talking about those special singing masks. And also, I think mm-hmm. it was a flute mask, possibly. Yes. Yeah, I was just talking with my colleague, um, my good and work is the band director and so he's talking about masking the instrumentalists and the flute masks he said that that's the most quote-unquote demoralizing mask of all because it's the it makes you i mean they're just very silly looking right because you have to get the air to go over the um the flute right it, yeah. it into the instrument the way that a reeded instrument like a clarinet or an oboe or something like that where it goes all into the instrument it has to soar over kind of more similar to singing mm. Um, so the, the masks that they come up with are, you know, these cloth masks with wires that come out from the face and yeah, it's interesting. I, I have heard mixed, um, I, I don't want to speak, you know, I'm, I'm not the scientist here, but I have heard mixed, um, feedback about how like effective those masks are for, for keeping aerosols in. Um, so I had, I had heard that they weren't the most effective in the world. Um, and then I, and then I see a bunch of choirs using them. So I don't know. I, I have no idea. I just like being able to be outside so I don't have to go down that road. It's kind of a blessing. Yeah, it, cer- it certainly is. And, and that's really, I, I just admire your creativity so much. How are your yeah. students doing? Are they happy to be singing? I would imagine so. Too. Yeah. Yeah. They're really happy to be singing and, um, and you know, we've had so far a very successful semester. I know the last time you and I talked was like right after we started. Um, And so I was kind of wondering what the semester would look like, because this is our first semester back in person. And, you know, last semester we did wear masks. We actually opted for the KN95 masks. I thought that was kind of a nice singer's mask because they're tented. So we did that last semester, spread it all out, and it was totally optional. So I would only have about 15, 20 students who opted to come that day. Um, This semester, we do have 100% in person. So I was thinking, well, what's going to happen here? Um, And so far, knock on wood, and I do think that this will likely change over time. But so far, we have not had a single student test positive for COVID at all, let alone spread it. So um, we have had scares. We've had people have to oh, I can't come in today. I have flu like symptoms. I'm going to go get tested and and we just established a really good culture of openness and non-judging and no stigma. And so people feel very comfortable saying, oh, I, I don't feel well today. I'm going to go get tested. And they're very open about sharing the results. Oh, negative. Great. I'm going to wait till my symptoms pass and I'll come right back in. Um, and so far that's worked really well. And um, I feel really good that people are not taking advantage of anything like that because sometimes people can take advantage of those systems, particularly among you know young adult populations. They're they're exploring their freedom for the first time and they're thinking, oh, I can call out sick. You know, it's it's something that we have to manage as choral directors. And I don't know if this is the same way in sports, but um, we're, we as choir directors are going to have to have a big conversation about how to move forward because a lot of times. Um, sick absence policies were were a little bit more inflexible than they might be elsewhere because group participation is so important. Right. Um, So 
it's not uncommon to see a policy saying, okay, you get two or three absences for any reason. And beyond that, no, you know, that's a very common policy. It's a policy that I had and that I'm thinking about revisiting because now it's just not acceptable to be coming in sick, particularly if you're going to be singing and spewing your aerosols all over everywhere. So um, that's actually something I've been kind of struggling with with our school district here from last spring, because the absence policy, you know, they really wanted kids dialing in to zoom, right? They really wanted kids Mm -hmm. virtual and not just, you know, hanging out somewhere else with their cameras off. So I understand like really strict absence policies to get kids as as possible in a virtual environment but now that we're back in person it is uh you know kind of counterproductive to have a really strict absence policy when you actually want the parents to keep the kids home and go get tested when they have slight symptoms you can't be overly strict and have parents feel like feel comfortable keeping a kid home and getting tested so you have to be a right. permissive if you really want to keep symptoms out of the school but the absence right. policy um, doesn't really accommodate that you get like nine for the year the entire year and so that has to handle a family going away for a weekend or travel sports which are gone for a friday i mean and then pretty soon you're down to you know you only have two or three you could use two or three for a common cold um in hockey or just to update you on our hockey program we've had a few of those same scares uh, we've had people say you know, I've had, you know, symptoms or, you know, whatever, maybe it's allergies, but I'm going to go get tested. We had one child actually have pneumonia that was not COVID. We had a mom develop a pneumonia that was non-COVID. We've had a couple household exposures. We've had um, one family pick it up at a volleyball tournament. And similar to you guys, everybody has been so incredibly wonderful about getting tested proactively. Last year was kind of like, oh, you have symptoms. You know, we have to remind people to go get tested. Now people are kind of in the drill. They know how to get tested. They know where to go. They get Mm -hmm. tested. Some of them um, actually already know their quarantine and isolation protocols before they even, um, you know, call in or text in. So they they are now contacting us with what their plans are instead of us saying, hey, you know, this is kind of what it looks like for your family. So-and-so is in quarantine. so is in isolation. This is when they come back. So everyone really knows the drill. And it's it's really like you were alluding to this trust relationship that we have, you know, with people where we're really um, taking individual responsibility and we're, you know, conferring trust and respect amongst ourselves um, to keep yeah. everyone going. And it's not, it's, it's a different environment. I, I think Maybe your young adults, maybe you can find out from them as you as you talk to them. They probably appreciate having that agency and having people, you know, really respect their autonomy and their decision making. Yes, some of them will use it like the hockey players, not the young kids I'm talking about, but like the young adult males. Some of them, when I was describing COVID to them, they're like, oh, so it's kind of looks like a hangover. Like, you know, kind of, you know, COVID can kind of present like a hangover perhaps for you. (laughs) So it's a little bit different environment with young adult uh, hockey players perhaps than college Mm -hmm. students, but I I don't really know. It could be similar. So yes, one or two could be like, you know, had a fun weekend and kind of looks and feels like COVID. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Right. You know, There's some ambiguity potential there, but still, I mean, I think in all this society really needs to relearn how to trust each other. Yeah. And I have to say, um, I guess I'm thinking of two things. One is I really, I am a fan of symptomatic rapid testing. It has, it has really changed. And I, you know, I, 
I thought, oh, maybe this is, is not going to work out so well. And I have to say, I wish that rapid tests at home, rapid tests were more widely available. I know at one point they were. And so we're kind of working that out. Hopefully that'll be better in the future. But, um, but it's really empowered students. Um, and I've actually found that I've had less people out sick because if someone does feel sick, they go home and they, you know, they're showing symptoms. They take that rapid test. And it's interesting, once they have the peace of mind that it's not COVID, a lot of times they start to feel rapidly better right after that. Um, and that's not to say that they didn't have symptoms. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that they're lying or making anything up or anything like that, but I do think it provides a great deal of relief for a lot of people. I know that rapid tests are not perfect, of course, nothing in this life is perfect, but, um, but it's been really empowering. And I know I had one student who, had, who was very, very sick and she was actually out for two weeks. Um, but this student ended up having the flu and it was confirmed by, you know, a rapid flu test. And really? It's like, wow. this is, this is actually quite empowering to a lot of people so that they can let me know, oh, well, this is why I'm going to be out. Um, and if they don't have any of these big, bad, scary illnesses, they think, okay, I'm just going to wait for my symptoms to subside. It's, it's been very helpful because, and also that combined with the fact that we have also set up, I think that only works when you set up a system of trust. Yeah. And, and good incentives. Uh, I don't think that rapid testing alone will will be as magical as it is in our application of it. If you don't also set up a really positive system with positive incentives. So what I mean by that is, you know, I'm revisiting my system of punitive absences right mm -hmm. now. What I don't want to do is have a choir of people that take advantage of that, right? So there is a little bit more accountability. And I say, if you have suspected COVID symptoms, I'm happy to excuse your absences if you go get a test and you let me know what your test results are. And some people take issue with that. Oh, it's not your business or whatever, but you know, and I, I, I don't need them to share any private information yeah. with me, but I just, I, I want to make it clear. Like if you're going to be out for several rehearsals and you want those absences excused, you have to and you can get a doctor's note too. It doesn't have to be, you know, if you don't feel yeah. comfortable sharing the actual results, I'm happy to accept a doctor's note that doesn't give any details of a diagnosis, but just says this person needs to be out until this date. That That is totally fine too. But yeah. there needs to be a little bit of accountability and that way it works as a system. And then I, and then I give them something and saying, oh, now, now I'm going to excuse you for those days and I'm going to help you catch up and all of that. And I also started our semester, you know, we always go through the syllabus um, and it's like a big, long, boring contract. And I had them put their syllabus down. I said, everybody just look up at me, look, you know, make eye contact with me. Um, you know, we're doing choir in a post pandemic world, not that the pandemic's over, but like right. post start of pandemic world. Like this is, this is, our innocence has fallen. Um, it is yeah. a different era. So I just want to be really clear that in this choir, we do not stigmatize one another. If someone is ill and they return, you are not going to treat them like a leper. You know, we're not going to do that to each other. We're not going to judge people for their actions outside of rehearsal. You know, these are college students. So they may choose to go to a restaurant or a bar or a party. And that is a natural human behavior. And I think that in this post vaccine world, particularly given that um, now basically 100% of our, of our choir is vaccinated. I just don't think it's a healthy way to be making judgments about other people who are doing very human natural things. Um, and when I, when I said that, maybe this is just an awesome group of people, but they all kind of went, oh, 
thank you. Thank you for saying that. And it right. made them feel free to just be non-judgmental to each other. And sometimes I feel like when you judge other people, what it really is, is you're judging your, it, it makes it harder on yourself. You know, you judge other people around you and then that means you have to judge yourself just mm -hmm. as, as harshly. And it creates a lot of anxiety. Yeah, that's um, so true. Cause you don't want to be the one that's perceived to be like, right. you know, despite your best efforts, you were the one that managed to, you know, to, to catch COVID somehow because it can still happen. You can right. still catch, I caught COVID with a mask so, mm -hmm. it, you know, nothing, like you said, nothing's perfect. You can do your best. And, um, you know, yeah. I think the, the thing that you're giving your students is, and your young adults, I mean, let's face it, they're young adults. They need to be able to live their lives. You know, this is a really important time for them, a formative period being away from home. Many of them, some of them maybe still live at home, but they yeah. really need connections with other people. They need social supports in this time of, you know, tremendous anxiety and mental health challenges, dealing with all these uncertainties mm -hmm. and pressures, economic and otherwise, you know, just about what the future looks like and dealing with rules. They really need each other. They really they need do. social supports. And, you know, in that kind of supportive environment, uh, viruses mm -hmm. do pass and not just COVID. So right. it's really what you are doing for your students is just so wonderful. You're, you're It really Thank sounds you. like you're striking a balance, you know, between trying to be cautious with a super infectious virus and yet recognizing the reality is everybody's vaccinated and you know those who do have some health conditions that might make it more challenging i'm sure that they're already aware they've been counseled mm -hmm. you know by right. their primary care physician and you know they're aware of they're aware of the risk environment the risk landscape right and um and i i have to say i'm really proud of this group because they uh, one of the students we have a we have like an online uh like class group where people can post things and ask questions and do all of that and someone posted this beautiful poem that she saw on instagram of all places um and it said if you're sick i love you and she shared it and it was this message of like if you're sick we're gonna we're gonna help you be better we're not going to blame you and um right. and you know a student just posted that with the group and they received it well we've been we've been doing social events they're all outside um, but, and, and again, you know, this is a now, because our, our mandate goes in effect this next week, this is now a 100% vaccinated group. So, um, I, it, it's the, the, I cannot stress enough how much the benefit has outweighed the risk, uh, in this particular si uh, situation. And, um, I've really enjoyed getting to know them on that level. And they've expressed to me, you know, this, this saved me. I have a lot of students that dropped out of school altogether when it went online and and some of my most promising students i remember i saw them for one or two zoom meetings in march 2020 and they were just like in a deep dark place and now they're back and they they resurfaced after almost two years and they came back and they're thriving and they're yeah there are people who just went and worked and that's another thing oh. they expressed to me I, it is a community college so a lot of them do still live at home it's a commuter school we don't have yeah. dorms on campus um and a lot of them are from, you know, lower income backgrounds and they are members of the working class. So right. many of them worked through the pandemic. So right. to them, it was like they, many of them had COVID, many of them were taking all these risks all this time. And, and they expressed to me that they were very frustrated that they couldn't have this very necessary healing connection with other people in, in this you know, for all, for many of them, they take choir to stay in school. It keeps them in school, as crazy as that sounds. And I know that sports can play a similar role with that. So whatever keeps them doing something and working towards a goal, 
is a good thing. And it's, it can be, it can be literally life-saving. It can be in some, right. in some cases, um, anecdotally, but, um, but yeah, I, I think it's been really important for them to feel this connection. We, we had our retreat. We usually do an overnight retreat, which is kind of like choir camp. I didn't do it this year just because they always get sick in non pandemic years during retreat. And I just don't want to bring any negative attention yeah. right, right now. when we're really trying to convince people, oh, we can do this safely. So I just, I just took a little bit of the cautious way out and we did a day long retreat so that I didn't have them sleeping 10 to a cabin in a one room cabin. You know, I just said, maybe not this year. Um, yeah. And it was, it ended up being really successful and we were, and this, I can, I can play my video because the video, the next video I have is from that retreat and I'll play that when we're ready for it. But, um, you know, we rehearsed in our garage until nighttime. We went, we went to the park and we played games. They played like potato sack races and egg and spoon races and all of that. And, um, it was just a really special day. I got to know a different side of them and I haven't had that. You can't have that on zoom. You, there's something about being among each other physically and, um, and a lot of them express you know, we need this and, and we are willing to, it's not that much additional risk for us, considering that we're members of the working class, many, many of them. So. Right. I mean, I don't, I, I, I feel comfortable saying this. Um, it's really been on my mind over the last few days, you know, what you said about the, the working class. I just, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody I really admire and respect yesterday, just on this whole topic about risk perception and risk management. And, you know, thinking about risks at the, the level of minutia that we sometimes are is such a privilege. Um, and yes. it's the privilege that, you know, many people have who also have the luxury of, of being overrepresented on Twitter, for instance. And um, it's a luxury that many, many, many other people do not have. They have had to go about their lives climbing ladders, which is risky to, you mm -hmm. know, remove pine needles from roofs or to paint or to, exactly. prepare, you know, firefighters and so many other people have everyday risks that if you were to walk in their shoes for just a, just a day, you would think to yourself, I'm worried about, and this is not to minimize the health concerns of COVID. No. And you always get into trouble when you do comparative risk assessment, right? Because, you know, you're, you're, everyone's, you know, lens is different, but I think that those who are making policy, it's really incumbent upon them to think about that and to, to consider the fact that their lens, it's different. Right. You know, when, when you're adjudicating risk for people and deciding what risks are tolerable and which aren't for society in general, um, you really need to think about the fact that you're, you're per, personal perspective may be shaping your policy perspective. And uh, I, I just think what you're doing for your students um, in providing them an opportunity to resume normalcy in what you said, a post-pandemic or an endemic world is so important because I think that you are embracing and, and showing them that you really understand what their everyday lives look like. And in the context of that, you know, having choir, you know, is yeah actually really fun, you know? Yeah. And, and on a deeper level, it, uh, they've done so many different studies about how connection through music can different parts of the brain. And, um, it's really great leadership training for a lot of these students. It makes people feel more socially comfortable. They've, they've, done studies about, you know, what it can do for autistic people, um, mm. people on the autism spectrum and how um, these people can make different neural connections through music and particularly through um, through 
ensemble music, meaning music making with other people, whether that be instrumental or, or vocal. Um, there, there are studies on brain development in general with music. It, it's very powerful. So it is, it, of course, it's really fun. Um, and also it's deeply enriching in, in ways that a lot of people may not realize. And I oh, always go so right. Yeah, I always think that I wish that choral music was something that was more um, a part of our society here in the United States. It is in other yeah. countries. You know, there's some European countries that really center singing. And, you know, they, I've heard that in France they teach little kids solfege, the do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. From, everybody knows that it's from Sound of Music, but that's really like a big... Uh, tool in music education. I wish that everybody would have the chance to do this. Now, uh, Nicola, let me ask you something. Yeah. Um, I have heard, and I taught myself how to draw. I wouldn't say I'm an artist, but I taught myself how to draw. My son taught himself how to draw detailed drawings. I have heard that mm -hmm. people can be taught to draw. We often think of it as an innate skill. I have also heard that you can be taught how to sing. Do you? Yes. Agree yeah. I 100% agree with that. Um, it's like, well, and it's interesting, right? Because there are going to be some people who are more, I don't like the word talent because it's such a, it, it carries it such a connotation easier. with it. But um, well, yeah, there's some, there's some people who have more of a, a, a natural knack for it. I mean, of course, there are going to be people who are naturally able to sing and hear things. Um, and then there are going to be people for whom that's much more difficult. Just that, just like there are people who have excellent hand-eye coordination, and so they're more driven towards certain types of sports. There are people who are naturally built a certain way, so they're better for gymnastics or basketball or football or whatever, uh, hockey. Um, but that doesn't mean that nobody else can, can do it. And um, singing is a skill. It's like a language. It's um, when you learn how to read music, that's basically the same part of the brain as, as learning languages. So it's easier when you learn it younger um, because it becomes more a part of your brain development. But um, but that is, that's not to say that you can't learn it later in life. And also, you know, there's the brain side to it and then there's the physical side to it, which, you know, your, your vocal cords are just muscles and your breath is part of your body training. So you train it the way you would train athletic, Mm -hmm. thing an athletic activity you would train it the same way. it's just smaller muscles that you can't see because they're in your larynx so I always you, you train it the same way every time we talk I have more questions so um one of the things that <laughs> of journal of medicine sports medicine found like a couple months ago is uh, physical activity is protective against serious COVID um even for people with other comorbidities that you would expect would raise their risk um so just 150 minutes of activity a week is protective I began thinking mm -hmm. about lung capacity and singing. I was just wondering if, mm. if there's any, anybody has studied that at all, because you, you must know, start out in, uh, with any respiratory illness, a singer might start out with much more lung capacity than someone else. And maybe that would allow them to right. hang on long enough and be able to oxygenate their blood long enough to fight the virus. I don't know. You know, I don't know of any studies per se, but I will say that I saw an advertisement or not an advertisement, maybe it was an article. I saw something on social media say that talked about some program somewhere where they had opera singers helping recovered COVID and long COVID patients learn how to breathe again. You know, patients mm -hmm. who were having long-term issues with their breathing and lung capacity. I saw something where they brought in opera singers to teach them how to breathe more deeply. And again, I would have to go find it. I, this yeah. was months ago. Um, and I don't, I don't know how much it's been formally studied, but I can tell you that <laughs> this isn't a very good scientific statement, but I have a hunch that um, 
that it it has to be good to learn how to properly breathe. And it's funny. Yeah. Don't we talk about proper breathing and like three deep breaths and stress management? So, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's probably so multifactorial. Right. And I think people underestimate how well you need to breathe to be able to sing properly. And of course, I, I'm a teacher of classical singing. So that's even another level. I mean, breathing is singing. And again, this was why I was so scared of getting COVID before I was vaccinated. I mean, right. I'm still scared. I mean, I obviously still don't want to get it. I'm still scared of it. But um, before COVID, I was very deeply, deeply, deeply concerned because the lungs are the most important thing to a singer, uh, perhaps. And it's kind of like swimmers, right? You, you have to have this great lung capacity. I think some people underestimate how important that is to singing. So it's interesting. I have a lot of friends who are not singers. Um, I always go, oh, teach me, teach me how to sing. You know, we'll be out, out after, you know, a couple of glasses of wine, teach me how to sing. It's like, okay, it's not that easy, right. but, um, but I always start with breath. Oh, can you do a singer's breath? And uh, most people can't that are not trained to sing or, or unless they do something. So when you breathe in, your stomach actually has to go out, yeah. right? So um, breathing in, stomach goes out. And then when you exhale, your, your abdomens should become more engaged and, and, you know, contract and all of That's that. Really so um, it's hard to do because a lot of people, when they breathe in, they, they breathe into their, their chest and they go, right. So actually a proper breath, well, I guess I should back up here. A proper breath yeah. would be, I'll back up even more. Right. So my chest isn't moving and my, yeah. So you because can't move your shoulders. You're pulling, or your chest. you're pulling your diaphragm down to create more. Uh, right. Well, Draw, and it's interesting because everybody everybody talks about the diaphragm, but the diaphragm is actually an involuntary muscle. So you can't move your own diaphragm, but you do want the diaphragm to drop. So what what you can move is, you know, I could get all into this stuff, but I think of it as the abdomen, the lower abdomen. So you, right. you drop, you know, it's you release your it, stomach right? and then yeah. that will uh, yeah. and then you have to have your rib cage open um, so that your your lungs can expand. And that's why we have people stand tall, wide and all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah, Do you know there are many, what a many peak different flow meter is um, a what? You know what a peak flow meter is. Uh, I do I not know what that is. So you use it in a hospital after surgery, or um, you might use it to measure your lung volume. Get your hands on a peak flow meter from one of your nurse friends or somebody at a hospital. Oh wow! Get your singers do that. It measures your lung capacity. I'd be really curious. I bet it's fantastic. I probably should know what that is, and I bet. And I, I am a choral director, so this is. I hope all of my vocal pedagogy colleagues are not like this charlatan over here because I don't I don't have an extended background in vocal well, you pedagogy. Probably call it something else. But, I'm sure you know what it is. Yeah. I'm but I wonder if they know about it. I wonder if I have colleagues who are all about just private voice instruction who have PhDs, you know, in, in that. Um, I wonder if they're like, of course I know what that is. So maybe maybe that would be interested in to learn well, more about it. Well, if they do know, then they need to model theirs, okay? <laughs> right, 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 yeah. Model your lung capacity. No, I mean, when I'm out running, I'm thinking about my heart and I'm thinking about my lungs and I'm grateful for both. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, singers probably, and I'm not an athlete, I wouldn't say I'm an athlete, but um, people who really value fitness are really tuned into their bodies. They're, mm -hmm. they're really tuned into how they're feeling. And I would imagine actually, now that I think about it, that helps your singers with symptom awareness. They might yep. really detect when they're feeling a little off, you know, because of their throat and their lungs and the connection with, um, you know, do I feel like singing yeah. or not maybe. Um, right. So I think it does help. I do think it helps. I mean, again, I, it's never been studied to my knowledge, so I have no idea, but um, that might be an interesting thing a look at um, because singers are very in tune with their bodies, particularly their throat, you know, and, and their lar laryngeal health and swelling 
that. Yes. So you are totally yeah. going to end up being a scientist, like an official scientist <laughs> when we're done with you. You're going to be collaborating with the exercise physiologists and the biotech. You should tell my high school science teachers that they would be quite surprised. <laughs> to hear no, that. I don't think so. We've already done lots of good research, and uh, yeah. just to, just to understand the you know this environment as you thought about getting back into you know singing together. You know, in our last mm -hmm. conversation, you told me about all the research you were doing and really just trying to understand them. Yeah, okay. and you know, just really quickly, I have to say I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Um, and and a lot of people may be wondering, you know, what is what is a choral director? got all this why would that be important but i actually think i was thinking on this the other day um there's so much wonderful discussion had on like you know hashtag med twitter and covid twitter and all of that and um i i want to hear more from leaders within their communities on how they're on how they're managing all of this because i was thinking this is an important perspective because at the end of the day we listen to the you know the quote the, the experts the science right but um right. but what how does that shake out within individual communities that this really affects and you know i don't have any sort of formal science background but i have had to make sweeping policy decisions for my own classroom uh for you know a year and a half now and we get some guidance from the top down but it's not really that specific um we've had groups of choral directors meeting on zoom coming up with with guidelines that we can share with people even though you know none of us are infectious disease experts so right. it's interesting to see the different leadership styles and and the very real and practical issues that people have to face and you can look at the cdc guidance and that's fantastic um how do you practically, you know, like what right. what parts of these guidances are really impossible to implement in a in a meaningful way, and what ones are very doable? And so right. I think so. I appreciate you hearing my perspective and 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 all of that. I really do. Oh, I, I think it's. Important. I really value it. You may have seen my tweet the other day that I, you know, a lot of people I think who were still doing youth sports last year and who are continuing to do them this year, you know, were probably like me, afraid to speak up last year because I really felt like if I said, "Hey, this is what we're doing and this is how we're doing it," someone would yeah. come and shut it down. Yes, and I knew that we were we were safe, um, as safe as could possibly be. I knew that we were doing it better than most others. I knew that we were watching and measuring, which says a lot, actually. Others were just like, you know, hope for the best, you know, don't right. track, don't trace and, you know, just hope it all works out. And we were not doing that. So I think we're, we're in a phase of uh, endemic COVID life where, um, like you said, it's, it's coming back to the micro local level and it's coming back to individual judgment and trust and solidarity and common sense and you know, we've all heard for 18 months now, you know, the guidance from above, and we all kind of get the basic tenets of how to do this. Um, so, yeah, I'm facing in, in our hockey program, and I noticed that our hockey director is trying to call me now while we're talking, so I'm sorry, Richard. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll be with you in just a second, but we, you know, when we have exposures come through, we're in a different landscape right now than we were last year. Last year, we had everything kind of sealed up, and people were arriving at the rank 100% dressed. They direct to the ice, directly back mm -hmm. out, you know, hanging around, very sterile environment. And mm -hmm. yes, it kept transmission down when there was no vaccine. Now we have a vaccine for everybody 12 and up. 
Mm-hmm. And we're operating 100% normally, no masks in the rink, you know, no distancing, the locker rooms are open, but people are naturally distancing anyway. It is not crowded, it's not congested, people kind of get it, you know, if they feel a little bit off, they're staying in the car. Um, many of them are just enjoy staying in the car and working anyway. I mean, it's really not crowded. It's really, you know, by most measures, it looks pretty much like it did last year, except that people aren't masking. And um, yet we still will have the occasional community exposure. We're still running at, you know, spring-like levels of COVID here in Virginia Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, we same, don't, same here. Yeah, yeah it's, We're it's back not, you know, it, it, it's not gone. It's still out there. Yeah. And so that means, you know, we're going to pick it up and we're going to hear about it. But, but at least, you know, we're, we're thinking about, so what does that mean practically? So do we quarantine an entire team because one person found out that they were positive? Do we shut down a whole team for seven days? That doesn't really seem reasonable. And that also would, you know, what, what do parents do with that? So they find out one kid gets positive and then the whole team shuts down. That really shuts down testing and reporting. And so, you know, we're, we're going to end up having COVID anyway. And so I think the better course of action is to be reasonable, to reduce transmission, to go back to our last year's protocols, allow the team to keep playing, but just really put a curtain up on transmission and go back to the, you know, just directly to the ice, back out, no locker rooms. Um, if you have symptoms, don't come just like last year. So some middle ground that doesn't shut everything down, but really reduces the likelihood that it's going to pass among the unvaccinated kids. But these are these are not guidelines that are set in stone by CDC or by anyone else. It's us trying to continually mm-hmm. modify and innovate so that you, like you said, um, the carrots and sticks, so that you provide people a reason to be responsible mm-hmm. and cooperative and help each other, you know, by saying, hey, yeah, it, it is on, we did have an exposure here on this team, everybody be really careful. If they weren't testing, we wouldn't know. And then you'd be in this constant state of anxiety, assuming it's around you all the time, which isn't exactly true either. So right, there's a time to go to high alert. And then there's a time to be like, well, yeah, it's vaguely out there. But Anyway, right. way of saying I really appreciate hearing what other people are doing too, because it's not easy. And uh, the expectation that you get it perfect is a terrible weight to bear um, for it's, somebody who's like, you know, I'm that person who is in the front row of the classroom trying to get all A's. And I know I'm not going to get all A's on. Right. It's, and it's very hard for people, you know, in my position who had no existing science background and, um, and, but are in positions of leadership. Um, and now is the time for leadership. And um, there are many different choices you can make. And I was making a lot of choices in fear for a long time and very understandably so. I have, a, I, you know, I have a lot of compassion for people who still feel that, that kind of visceral sense of fear because that was me yep. um, for a long time. And um, I just decided that I'm going to kind of step out of the fear circle a little bit right now. Now that's not to say I want to be reckless and I don't think that I am, um, but, I'm making decisions based off of, okay, I'm looking at evidence, you know, the best evidence that we have, and I'm looking at the benefit and the risk with every single uh, intervention that I use. I'm thinking about how that affects or takes away from the experience for the students and how much benefit that intervention would give. Um, Even though I may not know for sure, I'm going to use my best judgment. And then at the end of the day, I I am going to kind of follow my gut a little bit. And when I make the decisions, I'm going to make them confidently. And I'm going to tell my students, this is why I'm making the decision. And 
if you don't feel good about it, let's have a conversation, judgment-free zone. Um, but I feel, I feel relatively confident. I, we are all taking on some risk by leaving our homes, period. And, um, and so we're just not going to be holding each other to the fire about this. If something happens, we'll figure it out together. But we have a very collaborative, very healthy culture happening right now in the room. And I think that's something that a lot of leaders have done and um, some some more than others. And it's a challenging thing to do. Right. Um, so I, I would encourage all of my friends and colleagues out there who are in leadership positions um, to just keep thinking, you know, compassion first use your best judgment use the evidence um try and keep an open mind and um and don't be so hard on yourself <laughs> you know it's it's tricky yeah it really is that's that's really well put i mean we have to look at the evidence and we have to look at um you know what motivates people and think about human behavior and keep listening to all the people we serve and mm -hmm. see what see what their thoughts are because uh, it's very easy for me to get into my own head with the evidence and think about the yeah. perfect world and the perfect scenario and then I forget that um, some of these things you know might really shut down communication and without right. communication um, we are really actually in a worse spot um, mm -hmm. because then we have COVID there and we don't know it um, right so, and, and, and I, I would really rather not be in that situation where we're mm -hmm. blind to the threat I would rather be eyes wide open and you know a lot of collaboration and um, right. I, I think that at the end of the day, at least we found last year, it, it based on our survey of the hockey program, it looked like people were, for the most part, um, you know, 99% of the cases that happened in kids, we already knew about. Um, we allowed mm -hmm. anonymous reporting at the end of the season, in addition to everything that we'd heard during the season, and we, we were only missing awareness of one case, and that could have been a mistaken data tracking on our end. Yeah. Maybe it was reported and somehow it didn't land in the line list. So um, the adult cases, we knew about 56% of them. And so not every adult is going to say, hey, I had COVID, because really we were orienting on the kids and the, the adults were taking care of themselves and um, you know, staying away from the rink anyway, they didn't feel the need to report mm -hmm. um, because it wasn't mandatory for the adults. So, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful that we kind of set up those parameters last year and those expectations. And I, uh, from what I'm hearing, I believe that they're continuing, even though it's not mandatory this year. Yeah. But I do, as a data scientist, I do wish that I had a universal knowledge of everyone's status and could va validate that you know, I, I am aware of, you know, 90% of things. I can't say that. I can't say that I know about 90, 95, 99% of cases this year. And yeah. that's unfortunate. I wish I could, I wish I could tell um, what my own sensitivity and specificity was in program mm -hmm. management, but that's really not, that's not a real world expectation. Well, and the greatest thing I've learned, not only over the past 18 plus months, but as a leader in general, the greatest things I've learned is when to give up control and and when and when to not you know when to it, it just finding that balance of sometimes actually you just cannot control everybody and and the more you try the more you can push them away and mm -hmm. so sometimes the greatest answer is to instead of try to wield someone and say i need you to report you know i you have to do this you have to do this and that creates an era of an era of like punitive yeah. uh, action and all of that. I, I think that oftentimes some of the most effective ways to reach people is to kind of take your foot off the gas and sit back and say, you know what? We, I, it would mean a lot to all of us if we all did this. 
And if you don't feel comfortable, then I understand that it would mean a lot for this. And that's not going to work in every situation, but in some communities, it's very effective, you know? Right. And I think you and I both share that, that kind of a community, you know, everyone is really bought in everybody, you know, you're, choir really functions best with everyone there and everyone mm -hmm. obviously in unison right um and the same with a hockey team you know everybody's really needed and you know everybody is unified in their resolve to get the most out of the experience um and there's a financial incentive obviously for um for parents too to be careful with risks so we're in um you know i i respect the fact that we're in a slightly different environment than a typical public school would be um, right Right. It's it's really, you know, a kind of a, a synergistic um, unison of motivations to be successful. And I think being able to leverage that and um, and use that to help us achieve what we want to achieve together without quite so many rules and levers. I think we're in a fortunate position, um, mm -hmm. but maybe maybe it can be somewhat of a help to others who are, you know, kind of watching. How does this actually play out? And you know, in the real world, how does this actually look? Mm -hmm. What are the pitfalls? What are the vulnerabilities? Right. And um, so it'll be interesting to keep checking in with you. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, and I know- Why don't we close with uh, your- Yeah, I know, I promised you a half an hour and then of course we always go over because we have such a good time. Um, but yeah, it's really so lovely. So this is a clip from our, um, and I'll share the screen and I'll make sure I click share sound this time. I'm thrilled to say I'm out of practice with Zoom. Right? <laughs> I'm so happy to be bad at it again. Um, okay, so this is from our retreat. So it's at nighttime. And something really special about this, it's a, a mashup of a song called I Love You mixed with What a Wonderful World. We're gonna end our program uh, with this. And actually I'm inviting back the alumni who transferred and graduated during the pandemic so they can come back and sing this with oh, us if great. they want to. Um, and so we finished our day with this and we put it together for the first time with all the different parts coming together. And right after this, we're on the third floor of the parking structure um, and we're near Disneyland. We're 10 minutes from Disneyland and every day Disneyland has fireworks. And so right as we finished this piece, we turned around and the Disneyland fireworks, we had a perfect view of them going That's off. So and so it's just really, I'll put you in that kind of mental space. It was a really special time. So here is at the end of a long, long retreat day, some exhausted college students singing really beautifully. So enjoy. It's arranged by Craig Hella Johnson, if I want to give credit. <laughs> And then 
So in case you couldn't hear it uh, in the poor quality video, because I was holding it while conducting and obviously yelling out things too. Um, the words to that song, obviously everybody knows what a wonderful world, um, but the other song said, we can be together now and forever. I love you. So I thought that was a really lovely I, message I don't know if you could tell, I was starting to tear up. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes me emotional too. So lovely it is so lovely to know you to know what you're working on to see your students to see them in the parking garage to see the caution tape up so that no one parks where you're trying yes to, <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. to see all their chairs to see all their backpacks mm -hmm. yeah oh. all of them together i just i really wish that we could do that in schools um even yeah. if we can't get pe together because we're worried about being in a gym you know mm -hmm. how many schools have parking garages how many how many schools mm -hmm. have someone like you maybe yeah um, help teach this what an absolutely lovely thing you're doing thank you thank you thank you so much it's yeah. it's it's deeply meaningful work I, I i consider myself really really deeply privileged to be able to do it well yeah. so what is happening wednesday will you be live streaming that um you know i'm not i actually decided not to live stream because i'm ready for a really big tech break from all of yeah. this i'm i decided not to live stream and um and maybe we should, I, I will have a camera up. I want to see it, but I don't, yeah. I wanted to exist in that space. And I also yeah. wanted people to come. <laughs> I, I want people to be there. I don't want people to say, oh, well, I'll just watch the live stream. I, you know, but I, I will have a video camera there and, um, and I'll do some recordings there and we're maybe actually opening it for us for, yeah. for next month. Right. I'll, re I'll record it for sure. And we're opening with a piece that's written by, I, I don't, I don't want to name him in case he doesn't want to be named, but it's written by a doctor um, that I actually met on Twitter, and it's a, a gorgeous, a gorgeous uh, really? opening piece. Yeah, so um, I'm really you, excited. You, you yeah. and I are harvesting the very best of Twitter, aren't we? <laughs> yes, exactly. It's so it's so wonderful. So I, I I'm really excited for that concert, and um, yeah, I'll share it with you at some point. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Please extend my gratitude to all of your students. It was just beautiful to be there in that moment with them. Thank you for, I yeah. can tell as the camera was moving that you were conducting. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a chaotic video. Yeah, <laughs> but thanks. That's super neat. Yeah. Really enjoy your time. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. Same right, to you. We'll talk soon. Bye.